just turn back a couple pages to Precious Lord, Take My Hand.
a video here, uh, Chris, with some at the KBC. Southern Baptists across Kentucky are steeped in reaching our neighbors and the world for Christ. I am thankful uh, for the passion I had for missions came from my time in Kentucky. We have a spiritual DNA that's just in us and the heritage of, of, of Kentucky Baptist churches that, that we believe in doing mission work. We believe in taking the gospel into all parts of the world. So I know Southern Baptist, I am one, and I'm proud to be one, and I'm proud to be a Kentucky Baptist. The heads of the mission boards of Kentucky, North America, and International all have deep Kentucky roots. I am one of literally millions who could sit in this chair and say, I'm grateful for Southern Baptist. Thank you. Kentucky is much more diverse than just one single landscape. There's a great, a great need to get the gospel in ways that people can hear it and understand it. The challenge to reach North America is incredible because we have not planted enough churches to keep up with the population growth in North America. We have fewer churches trying to reach more people. So reaching those unreached people groups, getting the gospel where the gospel is not now, where there's no witness, that's our highest priority and that's the greatest need. Kentucky Baptists have a long tradition of sending workers into the mission field and then supporting them through the cooperative program. The cooperative program is so important because it's the fuel that feeds the machine, the mission's machine. There's no way one church can have the impact singularly that 2,351 churches can have together. Uh, what we're hoping to see is, is a growing commitment and a more sacrificial commitment to providing the resources necessary to support those missionaries, send more out, and get the gospel to the ends of the earth. Thank you to Kentucky Baptist for your decades of faithfulness to the cooperative program. It's not the million dollar gift that gets the gospel to the ends of the earth. It's the $1 gift, and the $10 gift, and the $100 gift. And Kentucky is laser focused on being mission-minded. We have a responsibility for our, our home area, our community where we uh, live and serve and minister, um, but we have a responsibility beyond that as well. The corporate program allows us to reach into these other places and partner with Kentucky Baptists who we love. And I wanted to share, hopefully you have your bulletin, so I want to bring, uh, bring attention to a couple things here. Inside your bulletin, we're also in the season of collecting our Lottie Moon Christmas offering. And um, our goal was 15000 We have given now over $17,202, which is outstanding. Last year, we only gave, I think, 13600 So we've really done well compared to a year ago with our uh, Lottie Moon giving. So very encouraging. Our next missions offering here, part of being a Southern Baptist Church and part of the Kentucky Baptist Convention will be at Easter time. And that's when we collect the Annie Armstrong Easter offering, which goes to support, as Kevin Easel said, talked about the, the great need for churches here in our, our country and about planning new churches, so that. So very encouraging, certainly wanted to show that video for that. If you have your Bible, and I hope you do, open up to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 10. 
And in a little bit, we will flip over and we will look at Mark chapter 7. So those are the two sections of Scripture. Tonight, we will look at Acts chapter 10 and Mark chapter 7. I always enjoy when Gene King leads in worship. Do you all know why? Gene sings fast and he burns through songs. And it gives me, Brother Hurd, more time to preach. On a, when Gene leads in worship, I get plenty of time, so I'm glad to have that. If you have your bulletin, go ahead and pull out. You should have a bulletin insert and flip over to the back side where it says evening worship. Listen, if you are here, we are going through the book of Acts. It's my second favorite book of the Bible after the book of Luke. Luke wrote both Acts or Luke and Acts. And I want to share with you what this is whole whole year we're going to be going through this. And last year too. It's called Church on Fire because we see the explosive growth of the church in the book of Acts. Today's message, tonight's message, could not be any more timely. Because what's going to happen is, Peter is going to be confronted about something. He's going to be confronted about an issue that was hindering the gospel. We see the divisiveness that really he's going to wrestle with at this point. And reason why we are believers today is in many ways of what happened tonight, we're going to read here in Acts chapter 10. This is part of what we call the Pentecost. If you look at your little bulletin insert handout, it says there, the first Pentecost, which was really the Pentecost, it was in Acts chapter 2. But it was there in Jerusalem, and the Holy Spirit came down. Tongues of fire came down on the Jewish believers. And it spread, and 3,000 Jewish people gave their lives to Christ. And at that point, the early church was very Jewish. It was Jewish. They were Jewish Christians. Then, in a few chapters later, by the time you get to Acts chapter 8, there, if you go north from Jerusalem, you go up to an area called Samaria. Samaria were the folks that were half Jew, half someone else. It was an interracial marriage. They say, I was Jewish, so I married somebody, I married Sherry over here, who's not Jewish, and then all of a sudden we have children. Our children are half Jewish, called Samaritans. And they lived in this area in central, north-central Israel called Samaria. There's still Samaritans, they claim today, that live there. And they worship at Mount Gerizim. They do not recognize Jerusalem as their place of worship, but Mount Gerizim is where they certainly go. And so what happened is, in Acts chapter 8, the gospel, through Philip and through Peter, all of a sudden the Samaritans, they also received the Holy Spirit. But we're still Jewish because the Samaritans have Jew. Now, picking on Sherry over here, someone who's completely not Jewish is called a Gentile, and that's where we're going to pick up. And this is a continuation, and there's one central person who's involved in all three of these. At the original Pentecost, there in Acts 2, at the Samaritan Pentecost, there in Acts chapter 8, and here in Acts chapter 10, what we call the Gentile Pentecost, Peter was involved in every single one of these. Peter is the leader of the church. 
So his blessing and him praying and seeing the Holy Spirit come down. But I want to tell you all about Peter. Peter had a, a, a strong prejudice. You know, people who are real passionate, people who are real driven, and I would be this person, they also, what, what gives them their drive is it also creates their downfall. Like in my case, I could easily be a workaholic. I could easily work 80, 90 hours a week, just driven to the point where you've just, you've drained yourself and neglected everyone around you. Peter has this Jewish identity. Remember, this man was a fisherman in Galilee. He was burly, he was strong. Remember that time when Jesus was arrested? And what happened was, right before he was arrested, Jesus kind of indicated that he was going to be arrested and he was going to die. And Peter looked at, or at Jesus and says, no, you're not going to die. Never will you die. And then Jesus responded to Peter and says, Peter, you don't know what you're talking about. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. What does that mean to be sifted like wheat? Why did Peter have to be sifted like wheat? That's because this man, who had a lot of drive and passion, still had some thorns and some sticks in him. You, 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 get, your, you get wheat and you have to sift it to get out the other stuff. And in our lives... People like Peter, people like me, maybe even you, have to be sifted like wheat. And if you remember that night, Jesus was arrested. And what happened? Peter pulled out his sword and he swung it at the high priest. And he cut off the high priest's assistance. His name was Malchus. And he, he ducked his head and he got his ear. Now Peter wasn't trying to cut his ear off. You know what he was trying to go for? His head. Peter was trying to kill the man. That's the type of drive that he has. Jerry, do you mind those back doors, if we leave those doors open, they have a wana downstairs right now and they're having game time. Do you mind closing those double doors right there? That way we're not listening to game time downstairs. That applies to Wednesday night Bible study as well. Anything downstairs comes right up here. Anything up here goes right down those hallway. Thank you, Jared, for shutting those doors with that. So what happened here is we see that Peter, this man, is someone who has this prejudice. And his prejudice, we're about to pick up what we're about to read. He is Jewish. In his mind, Jesus was Jewish. The other disciples were Jewish. Christianity came out of Judaism. There is a Jewish identity that Peter wants to hold to. And all of a sudden, it's going to happen. He's going to have to decide on which, which side of the fence does Peter stand on. All right, here we go. Acts chapter 10. I want you to follow along your Bible up here on the board. Now, there's five sections. There's a lot of scripture tonight, but Gene gave me a lot of time. There was a man in Caesarea. Where is Caesarea? 
Caesarea is the Roman capital of Israel. It's about 25, 30 miles north of Joppa. Joppa is important. Those are the two cities we're going to look at. Joppa and Caesarea. We are on the Mediterranean coast. Caesarea is a Roman town. Remember Rome? It, it occupied 2,000 years ago Israel. And what that means is the Romans, they had a lot of land, but they let the Jewish people do their thing as long as they paid taxes to Caesar. So we're in Caesarea by the sea here. There was a man in Caesarea named Cornelius. A centurion. Centurion means 100. This man ruled, had 100 soldiers under him. Of what was called the Italian Regiment. Italian Regiment means he came from Rome. These were elite soldiers. And I want you to know something. Probably Cornelius, you have to remember, we think Israel was the center of the world. But back in Bible times, if you, were Rome, if you were part of the Roman Empire, Rome was the center of the world. And Italy. Israel was where kind of like the religious people are. Let me put it illustrated. What's, this, what's the... It's like here in the United States. If you're a young person, you want to live in like New York, San Francisco, Los Angeles, Washington, D.C., all the cool cities. You come to Kentucky or Arkansas. That's where you send people like Cornelius. Let them take 100 troops. Just go manage Kentucky out there. It's flyover country. That's how Rome viewed Israel. I mean, those folks there in Kentucky, those folks there in Israel are religious, but we here live in New York City in Washington. We call the shots, Cornelius, get you a hundred guys and go make sure by, just make sure they pay their taxes. That's how they were viewed. They just need to give to Caesar. They can do whatever religious stuff they want to do. Just, they just don't break Roman rule. So that's kind of the attitude among 2,000 years ago of Israel. And Cornelius was a leader of these folks, but he was Italian. Keep going here in your Bible. Verse 2, he was a devout man and feared God along with his whole household. He did many charitable deeds for the Jewish people and always prayed to God. About three in the afternoon, he distinctly saw a vision, an angel of God who came in and said to him, Cornelius, staring at him in awe, he said, what is it, Lord? The angel told him, your prayers and your act of charity have ascended to me. As a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa. So we're going about 25, 30 miles south. And call for Simon, who is also called, who's also named Peter. He's lodging with Simon a tanner, whose house is by the sea. Remember, a tanner is somebody who would deal with unclean animals. They would, they would clean the animals. So that Peter's now staying at somebody whose house is unclean. And it goes on to say here, verse 7, When the angel who spoke to him had gone, he called two of his household servants, snapped his fingers, they came to him, and, his, and a devout soldier, and one of them who, who attended him. After explaining to them everything, he sent him to Joppa. So Cornelius, being a powerful, wealthy man, he gets his people to him and says, Go down, I got a vision, an angel spoke to me. Go down to Joppa and bring me this man named Peter, who lives by the sea with a guy named you know, Simon the Tanner. So he doesn't really know what to expect. So that's what's going on at this point. So 
We're setting up for something that's going to happen. It's important here about Cornelius, his description. If you go back and you look there in Acts chapter 10, he is described as a devout man, one who feared God. He was someone who was respected by the Jewish leaders there. But it's interesting about that, him being devout. This is where you want your little bulletin insert. What does it mean? Look at that little first arrow there. Cornelius is a devout man and feared God. Meaning he would have believed in Judaism's faith in one God and he would have obeyed the Ten Commandments. But him being a Gentile, he would not have submitted to circumcision or following a kosher diet. So even though he had, he was very sympathetic to Jewish beliefs because he ruled over the Jews there. He was kind to them. He still was not Jewish. He was a Gentile. He did not circumcise. He was not circumcised and he did not follow a kosher diet. So that's what it would mean by him being devout. Moving along here. So look what's about to happen to Peter. So where is Peter at? Peter has moved from Jerusalem. We saw last week as we're going through the book of Acts. He's moved over to the sea, in the Israel and the Mediterranean, to a city called Joppa. Joppa is an important city. That's where, if you remember Jonah, Jonah went to Joppa to escape God, and he, jumped, uh, he got on a boat, found himself, swallowed up by a well, and got spit out right there, and kind of went backwards there a little bit, went to where he needed to go. So we're here in the same city that Jonah was in. So Peter's sta staying there, and he's traveling around, and he's preaching. So verse 9. The next day, as they were traveling and nearing the city, Peter went up to pray on the roof about noon. So Peter had a prayer line. It's 12 o'clock, and he's praying to the Lord. He became hungry and wanted to eat. But while they were preparing something, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and an object that resembled a large sheet coming down, being lowered by its four corners to the earth. So we, he's having this vision and this sheet is coming down with all these different animals on it. In it were all the four-footed animals and reptiles of the earth and the birds of the sky. A voice said to him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. No, Lord, Peter said, for I have never, look at this, this is, the, this is the passion of the man, Peter, coming out. No, Lord, Peter said, for I have never eaten anything impure and ritually unclean. You know where he gets that from? Leviticus chapter 11, verses 1 through 8. Command a kosher diet for Jews, for the Israelites actually, not just Jews. And they were not to eat certain types of of animals, split hooves animals, such as pigs. They weren't to eat swines. They weren't to eat any reptile. And, and you can read the long list there. And what happened is they had a kosher diet. Many Jews today still obviously practice that. If you go into Kroger, you look for the little U and the little K indicating this is kosher. But look what happens here. Peter told Jesus, no, I'm not going to eat that. 
I know what the Old Testament says. Again, verse 15, a second time the voice said to him, What God has made clean, do not call impure. This happened three times. Suddenly, the object was taken up into heaven. Three times. Peter is arguing with the Lord over this. He is determined not to eat or to kill or to touch or do anything with anything animal that would be unclean or impure. Remember too about Peter. Peter had to be reinstated. How many times? Three times. When he saw Jesus there preparing the fish, the resurrected Jesus on the Sea of Galilee, and Peter was out fishing, and there is Jesus after three days of being resurrected. He goes over, and Jesus reinstates Peter and asks him three times, Peter, do you love me? And he said, feed my sheep. Here three times, God had to tell Peter, listen, if I claim, if I make it clean, who are you to tell me that it's unclean? Now, let's stop right there. That's the prejudice. That's the issue that Peter is dealing with. As you all know, I read the newspaper. I'm the only person under 60 here in the city that subscribes and reads the newspaper. My dad, remember, he worked, he's editor at Birmingham News in Alabama, and that's where I grew up, and I even worked for the newspaper for four years. I used to write for the newspaper in Georgia. <clears throat> Something's going on with the Methodist church. Y'all need to be aware of it. I'm going to tie this in because we have to know on what to stand for as Christians. Paul Prather, who writes about religion in our local newspaper, wrote an article this morning about history will show who is right in the Methodist church split. The United Methodist Church. I want to tell you all something about the Methodist Church. I grew up Baptist, but my best friend was a Methodist. And I would go to their VBS. I even went to church with her in the youth group sometimes. And it was, they, um, I mean, this is 25, 30 years ago. They were, to me, the only difference of Methodist Church and the preacher preached the gospel was baptism. They sprinkled Baptist dunked. I mean, back then, that was seen, at least it appeared that was the big issue. But now the issue is a lot bigger than that. The issue is over homosexuality. And we live in a day that you can no longer live in a gray area on what you believe on that. And if you're a Methodist, Soon, you will not be able to live in a gray area. Their denomination is soon going to split. And what's going to happen? They're going to create what they call the traditionalist group. And they believe that homosexuality is wrong. See, in the official Methodist doctrine, it says that, as well as in the Bible doctrine. And that they will not ordain homosexual clergy. And that's what they call the traditional group. And every church, every Methodist church is going to have to pick sides all of a sudden. But then there's going to be a progressive United Methodist Church. And they will be the ones 
that have homosexual weddings. They will have homosexual uh, clergy and pastors of their churches. And what will happen is the, the line will be drawn and there will be no longer a gray area. You have to be either in the traditional or the progressive camp. And it will be a, it will be a day of reckoning for many. You will really find out where different Methodist congregations stand very soon. It won't take long. And you say, Pastor, why are you telling us this? What's happening here is a day of reckoning for Peter. But you know, for the Methodists, the Bible's already very clear. If I was a Methodist, I would be in the traditional camp because the Bible says that homosexuality is wrong. It would be a very easy decision for me whatever church I pastor. But here, Peter, this man is Jewish. And if you go back in your Bible in Leviticus chapter 11, it tells us Jewish men, there are certain types of food not to eat. And now the Lord is telling me that I'm allowed to eat that. If God says kill and eat, you need to obey the Lord and kill and eat. So this is very important. What's happening here is there's a change that's happening. The gospel is about to spread beyond Judaism. No longer do Christians have to follow a kosher diet. No longer do they have to follow all of these rules, and Jesus is going to talk about this too. That's why we're going to turn to Mark chapter 7. In fact, go ahead and turn there. Keep your finger here in Acts chapter 10. And I want you to turn, because before we keep moving, I want to, I want to get stuck here so that you know what Jesus says about it. Flip it in your Bible, Mark chapter 7, starting in verse 14. I think we have it up on the board as well. But I want you to see this here, because Jesus dealt with this. Summoning the crowd again, Jesus told them, look here on this board, listen to me, all of you, and understand. Verse 15, nothing that goes into a person from outside can defile him, but the things that come from a person is what defiles him. Now, wait a minute. What Jesus is saying here is, what makes someone unclean? When church is over, if we all go down to um, Frisch's and we eat fried chicken, French fries, ice cream, cake, then we want more dessert. We want um, chocolate pie. Are y'all getting hungry? We look at we look at what the, you know how the law of menus now list the calories. We pick out which one's not the lowest, but the highest. And we order all that. And we've just ate a very unhealthy meal. Are we unclean? Have we defiled ourselves? I mean, I just ate a 4,000 calorie dinner plus dessert. And all of a sudden, not only am I sick, I don't feel good, but I'm not unclean. 
I haven't defiled myself. Jesus said, go back to that Bible verse, verse 15. Look what Jesus says here. So it's not what comes inside of us. It's not what we eat, but look, but it's the things that come out of us. So let's see what comes out of us. Look at this church, verse 16. Keep going here. Verse 16. When he went into the house away from the crowd, his disciples asked him about this parable. Because remember, they're Jewish. All they know is kosher, 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 kosher. Leviticus 11. They live by that. Verse 18. He said to them, Are you also lacking in understanding? Don't you realize that nothing going into a person from the outside can defile him? Like, guys, it's not what you eat. That's not what defiles you. Verse, verse 19, for it doesn't go into his heart, but into the stomach. And it's eliminated, meaning, okay, you went to Frisch's, you ate the most unhealthy food, you ate a 4,000 calorie meal, you might gain three pounds, but eventually you might be able to lose it again. That wasn't very smart, but you didn't sin, you aren't defiled. Thus he declared all foods clean. Keep going here, verse 20. And he said, look at this. This is so important. What comes out of a person is what defiles him. Meaning, what defiles us is how we speak. It's how we act. For from within, out of people's hearts come, look at this, evil thoughts, our thinking can defile us, sexual immoralities, thefts, murders, keep going here, verse 22, adulteries, Greed, evil actions, deceit, self-indulgence, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. Verse 23. All these evil things come from within and defile a person. Jesus just told us it's not food that defiles us. It's what comes out of our hearts. It's our thinking. It's our actions. That's the sin. We don't sin at Frisch's. We sin in our thinking, in our interpersonal relationship skills, in our conversations with other people. And notice, it even dealt with what we call indwelling sin. You know what indwelling sin is? That's envy. That's jealousy. That's slander. It's pride. Things that other folks might not even know what you're thinking and doing, but God does know. And that is what makes us unclean. Jesus looks at our heart. He's not, he does not, he's not concerned what we're eating. Now you want to eat healthy. But he's more concerned about how we treat other folks. What good is it? What good is it? If you follow the rules of the Bible, but then all of a sudden you are a total gossip and you slander and you put other folks down. And you're harsh. People are scared to be around you. You're so mean. You know it's going to be brutal. Flip back in your Bible. Acts chapter 10. So Jesus has told us here. It's very important. We understand this because something's about to happen. No longer... Are we to follow the kosher diet? Back here in Acts chapter 
10, verse 17, Peter and Cornelius are about to meet. And what's going to happen here is we're going to see this conversation and this change that's going to happen. Verse 17, while Peter was deeply perplexed about what the vision he had seen might mean. Because he's thinking, what on earth? My whole life I'm supposed to be eating this stuff. Now the Lord's telling me no. It doesn't make any sense. Right away, the men who had been sent by Cornelius, having asked directions to Simon's house, stood at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who's also named Peter, was lodging there. Do you know this house actually still exists today? It's a privately owned house. It's right there by the sea, there in Joppa. Well, I say it still exists. They, the location where they think it still exists, it might not actually be the physical house being 2,000 years old, but what they think was theirs, still there where the site was. While Peter was thinking about the vision, the Spirit told him, Three men are here looking for you. Go downstairs and go with them with no doubts at all, because I've sent them. So God is leading and speaking to Peter. Then Peter went down to the men and said, Here I am, the one you're looking for. What is the reason you're here? They said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who has a good reputation in the whole Jewish nation, was divinely directed by a holy angel to call you to his house and to hear a message from you. Peter then invited them in and gave them lodging. The next day he got up and set out with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa went with him. So some other Christians traveled. They're going north now, up to Caesarea. Verse 24. The following day, he entered Caesarea. Now, Caesarea is a Roman city, so we're in Gentile territory. We're in enemy territory in Peter's mind. Now, Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him, fell at his feet, and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up and said, Stand up, I myself am also a man, meaning you don't worship me. While talking with him, he went in and found a large gathering of people. people uh, Peter said to them, You know it's forbidden for a Jewish man to associate with or visit a foreigner. See, now what's happened is, Peter, do you all see the prejudice that's coming out? He's a devout Jew. A Jewish man is not to enter an unclean house, a Gentile home. And now he is. He's going somewhere that he does not feel comfortable with. He's walking into an area where there's lostness all around. So and it's very obvious. He, he even The first thing he says is, guys, you know, I, I'm really not supposed to be here. I don't feel comfortable in this setting. This isn't normally where I travel to. This isn't normally where I go. But what he... I want to tell you, missionaries, missionaries love this passage. You know why? Because if you're going to go to the lost, if you're going to reach people with the gospel, you have to go into a Gentile home. You have to go to the racetrack. You have to go to the bar. You have to go 
to the nightclubs. You have to go to the gambling casinos. You go where lost people live. You go to the places where people who are not following the scriptures are. I think I've shared it before. Back before Jerry Falwell passed away, I one time heard him share a story. Sherry and I went down to the pastor's conference at First Baptist Church of Jacksonville, Florida in 2007. That man spoke, and he says, every time I go to a restaurant, I don't do this, because I'm not there yet. He says, every time I go to the restaurant, I request to sit at the bar. And every restaurant now has a bar. I said, why would he do that? Why would Jerry Falwell, such a godly man, want to sit at a bar? And do you all know why? Because he knew when he's sitting at that bar, you know, people at the bar like to talk. He would lead people to Jesus at that bar. Because he'd be sitting next to somebody who wants to talk sports. Mr. Falwell would turn that conversation to the Lord. And he says, over the years, hundreds of people have gotten saved because of him sitting at the bar. Now, tonight, Brother Herb, when you go freshes, are you going to sit at the bar? Is there a bar of freshes? <laughs> that's about the last place. There's not one. But that's true. That's where the folks are. You go where the lost is. Church Peter is going into a house that he would not associate with. And the first thing he says, he's got a big audience. He even acknowledges. Let me read that Bible verse again. Go back to verse 27 here. Maybe it was verse 29. 28, I'm sorry. Verse 28. Peter said to them, you know it's forbidden. I mean, the first thing he says is, he's not, I'm here to talk about the Lord. He says, guys, you know it's forbidden for me, a Jewish man, to associate or to visit a foreigner. Like, I don't even want to be here. Like, you, this is not my territory. I'm in enemy territory at this point. Yeah, I went to the UK game yesterday. I was the only guy there wearing Alabama stuff. I stood out like a fish out of water. I mean, literally, that's what Peter feels like. But listen, I keep pounding on this. If you want to reach people for the Lord, you have to go where the fish are. You have to, a fisherman has to go where the fish are. If you're going to fish for men, where are the fish are at? They're at the bar. They're not in church. Now, God might bring folks to church, but the folk, they're driving by this church right now. They're not. They're at home watching football. They're not here. Keep going here, Bob. Verse 29. That's why I came without any objection when I was sent for, so you may ask why you sent for me. Cornelius replied, four days ago at this hour, at three in the afternoon, I was praying at my house. Just then a man in dazzling clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your acts of charity have been remembered in God's sight. Therefore, send someone to Joppa and invite Simon here, who is also named Peter. He is lodging in Simon, the tanner's house by the sea. So I immediately sent for you, and it was good of you to come. So now we are all in the presence of God to hear everything you have been commanded by the Lord. You know what happened there? Cornelius just says, 
God has spoke to me. I know the Lord has spoke to you. I've got my family here. We've invited everybody into the house. Peter, you have a message from God. Let me hear it. Now Peter's realizing, okay, God wants me to share the gospel. I am in a foreigner's home. I've never done this before. I'm in an unclean house, and I'm going to share the gospel with Gentiles. Peter began to speak. Now I truly understand that God doesn't show favoritism, but in every nation the person who fears Him and does what is right is acceptable to Him. One time in my life, not one time, but I'll never forget my first mission trip. I was in seminary in New Orleans Seminary, New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. And I was there, Sherry and I were engaged, and I went to Indonesia. Indonesia is the most popular Muslim country on earth. And I went there for two weeks. It was actually in January, January 2004. Yeah, 2004 is when it was. 16 years ago. I would have been there right now, actually. And we were there, and I was working with our IMB missionaries, supported by our Lottie Moon Christmas offering. And then we were staying there at the, like, at the IMB house. And the, you know what we did? We would go into mosque. I had never, I didn't even know what a mosque was. I went into, I felt so out of place, so uncomfortable. It just seemed eerie. It's like, this is not me. I was 22 years old or so. 23 years old. 24, however old it was. And I was there and... Y'all laugh. I was trying to figure out how old I was when I got married because I was six months away from getting married. And what happened was I went there and they wanted us to share the gospel with the Amans, which is a Muslim leader. And these guys sit at these mosques. Mosques are just like, you know how like a church has hours? Like our hours are 8 to 5 Monday through Friday. Do you know what it is at a mosque? They're like always open and there's always people there. Like 24 hours people are there. You could just walk in one and just start talking about the Lord. They sit around and just talk about religious things. They want to talk about Muhammad. And we had to turn the conversation because you always had an audience at the mosque. And I went there and I stood and shared the gospel inside a mosque with an Islamic I am who was the, the leader there of the mosque. He was incredibly receptive. Now, he didn't pray to receive Christ, but gospel seeds were planted. That is what Peter feels like right now. He's in an uncomfortable setting telling these folks about the Lord. Keep going here in your Bible. Verse 36. He sent the message to the Israelites, proclaiming the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. You know the events that took place throughout all Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how He went about doing good and healing all those who were under the tyranny of the devil, because God was on him. So He's preaching. He's telling the story of Jesus right now. Verse 39. We ourselves are witnesses of everything he did, both to the Judean country and in Jerusalem. And yet they killed him by hanging him on a tree. God raised this man up on the third day and caused him to be seen, not by all the people, but by us whom God appointed as witnesses. 500 people saw Jesus, resurrected Jesus. 
who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives the forgiveness of sins. Peter just preached the gospel to these Gentiles. They did not know that. They did not know who Jesus was. And he's telling the story of the Messiah. Now, Peter's doing his job. This is just like a sermon. Do you know, I want to tell you what a worship experience is like. God brings people here to this church. My job is to proclaim the gospel. When you come and set foot in this building, if I haven't preached the Bible, I have failed. A preacher who does not preach the scriptures is not a preacher. A Sunday school teacher who's not teaching the Bible is not a Sunday school teacher. Peter has boldly proclaimed the gospel, and he's told the folks how to be saved, that they can receive forgiveness of sins. Now, what happens is there is a response to the gospel. The Holy Spirit comes in and works in our lives and works in your life. And here's how you do it. Now look at this. This is what we call, as Brother Hurt and I talk about, conviction of sin, the leadership and the movement of the Holy Spirit. While Peter was still speaking, these words, the words of Jesus, look at this, the Holy Spirit came down on all of those who heard the message. So the Holy Spirit's now moving. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter, these are the guys, remember those guys that came up with Peter? They came into there in this, you know, they feel, you know, they're in this, they're in this house and they're like, I just don't want to touch anything. Everything here is unclean. I feel uncomfortable, but this isn't what I expected. So the, the Jewish believers who with Peter, they're all of a sudden amazed because they've never seen this before in the scriptures. They were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit It was poured out even on the Gentiles. Can you believe it? The same Holy Spirit that came at Pentecost in Jerusalem. Then His Holy Spirit came to Samaria. Samaria is still kind of close to Jerusalem and they're still just half Jews. But now we're we're in a place that none of these people are Jewish. There's no Jewish customs being practiced. They don't even know who Jesus is. And God is sending His Holy Spirit. Look here, next verse, verse 46 says, For they had heard them speaking in other tongues and declaring the greatness of God. Then Peter responds, So in all these examples, speaking in tongues is showing a visual sign that the Holy Spirit has come down and the Holy Spirit is moving. And Peter says in verse 47, Can anyone withhold water and prevent these people from being baptized? Who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? Immediately, I've shared it before in the book of Acts, anytime someone believes and receives the Holy Spirit and comes to faith in Christ, they are immediately baptized. They have followed the Lord. God's Spirit has moved among these folks. These are unlikely people. Who's the most unlikely person you know to get saved? 
What if there was a movement of Muslims that came to the Lord? What if Democrats started turning to the Lord and became believers? And Bernie Sanders, all of a sudden, is leading people and talking about how great Jesus is. Just maybe unlikely people, people who you aren't even thinking of, coming to know Jesus. This morning at the 1109 service, I didn't have time at the 9 o'clock service this morning. We talked about Vermont. Shared a story about this church in West Pallet, Vermont, which is in the Green Mountains. I think that's what it's called. Green Mountains there. It's over on the New York side of Vermont, but still in Vermont. There was a church there that went out of business and they closed the doors. Well, then all of a sudden, some Southern Baptists through our North American Mission Board sent a church planner up there to reopen the church and start inviting the community to come back. There was only one church building. And folks started getting saved. And, and mid different mission teams started going up there to start help support them and start getting that church going again. And that church is thriving today. And I was talking this morning at 1109 about our church connecting with the church in Vermont, doing the same. Do you know in Vermont, 97% of the people there in that state are lost. Lost. That's a Gentile, as Peter would call it, a Gentile area. Do you know how many Southern Baptist churches are in Vermont? 34. There's 34 Southern Baptist churches here in Fayette County. That whole state desperately needs the Lord. That is their Caesarea. Our Caesarea is in the Northeast. Our Caesarea is in areas of our country where there's very little gospel witness. That's why Kevin Ezell at the North American Mission Board says we desperately need more churches. Broadway needs to be connecting with churches up in Vermont to go up there and send construction teams and VBS teams and college mission teams and getting Zach and Chris and Sherry Lyons and Richard Strange who can do plumbing, guys in our church, to go up there and say, I am here to serve. Because this is the only church in town within a 40-mile radius. And that's not just Baptist church. That's any church. There's just a, there's a absence of a witness up in the Northeast. The church have closed their doors. But what happens, I want to tell you what the North American Mission Board has found. Communities like West Paulette, Vermont, they don't like an abandoned church building in downtown. It doesn't look good. It just looks bad. You know, you want a picturesque little town, and if you've got some boarded up church, that doesn't look good. So what the town wants, these cities are saying, you know, Southern Baptists, why don't you come in there and reopen church and clean up and give a good paint job and spruce up the church and you'll have services, invite the whole community to come. They have a different, their motives are to make the church look nice for the community. Our motives as Baptists and believers are to use that as a witness to reach others. That's a vision for Broadway. Our church needs to be involved in church revitalization and helping out other sister congregations. It sads my heart when any church closes its doors because that is one less 
gospel witness. In Caesarea, where Peter is, there are zero churches. In areas of Vermont and New Hampshire, there are entire towns, counties, with zero churches. The need is right here in America. Last two verses, then we're going to have our invitation to respond. Verse 48. He commanded them, look at this, to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to stay for a few days, meaning Peter continued to preach and disciple those new believers. Peter baptized those Gentile believers right there in a Gentile town of Caesarea. He had to do, he had to deal with two major prejudices that he struggled with. If God says something is clean, and Peter says it's unclean, we have to follow the Lord. If God says you can enter the house, even though you shouldn't be entering a foreigner's house, you can enter the house. What's happening in this passage is God is tearing down the walls that were preventing people from knowing the Lord. There are walls all around us here in our city. All sorts of different reasons why people don't go and come to church. Our responsibility as Christians is to have open arms. We want folks to come in here and hear Jesus preached. Who are we to say only white folks can come here? Who are we to say only the wealthy can come here? Who are we to say only this type of educated person belongs here at Broadway Baptist? God has tore down any wall to prevent people from getting saved. Remember this morning's sermon, what I talked about? Jesus made it very clear that there are zero possessions in heaven. There's no ownership. We bring nothing with us. Nothing. Even if people put stuff in your casket. You can have the nicest casket filled with gold. And it will not go to heaven. All that goes to heaven is our soul and the work we have invested here on earth. We're going to have our invitation. Gene, I'm going to invite you, Miss Betty, to come forward. You need to respond to the gospel tonight. You can make a decision. You can make this your church home. You can say yes to Jesus. I, we, we conclude every single church service here with me standing down front, an invitation, just like Peter invited the people to respond to the Lord, and they got baptized we do the same. We won't baptize you tonight. The baptistry is not full. But you can get baptized. You can follow the Lord. So let's stand together. Gene and Betty are going to lead us in a song. I'll be staying down front waiting for you to respond to Jesus.
after that, I want to remind everybody, our next service we have here is Wednesday night. We are going through the book of Revelation. I want you to come. We're in Revelation chapter 17.